What should gradebooks look like to make grading for learning possible? That's the topic of today's chat on the continuing educator, Grading for Learning. Today, our moderators will speak with David Woodward, founder of Forefront Education, about his efforts to help us think about setting up grading platforms in a way that serve learning. And Katie Boudreaux, co-host of the Standards-Based Learning Twitter chat, who in her own practice is focused on separating behavior from learning and setting up grading practices within the gradebook that drive learning. Today's conversation is a rich one focused directly on the act of grading. I hope you enjoy it. I know you'll learn a lot, and we'll talk to you on the other side. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're so excited to share another episode of this podcast with you. In this particular episode, we are going to discuss very important gradebook considerations that make grading for learning possible. As I wrote about in the blog post, three ways to make the switch for grading to grading for learning, you can take steps to ensure that a gradebook tool fairly accurately and authentically reports what students know and are able to do. To help us explore this topic today, we have two outstanding practitioners and thought leaders joining us, David Woodward and Katie Budrow. And it's my pleasure to introduce David Woodward. How are you doing today, David? I'm good, thank you. Great, thanks for being here. David is joining us today from Lafayette, Colorado, where he founded Forefront Education. It's an online platform designed to help teachers and leaders improve instruction and student learning with an effective resource to collect and analyze assessment results. He has over 25 years in education, spanning from classroom teacher to bilingual instructional coach and math specialist for Boulder Valley Schools. When he's not brainstorming ways to ensure that Forefront becomes even better as a resource for educators, he can be found enjoying his other passion, playing music. So David, tell us a little bit about where you're joining us from today. Well, I'm joining us from our house, and as is everyone during the pandemic, I think we're uh, not very often in our offices, but uh, uh, yeah, we're outside of uh, Boulder, Colorado. Um, we're north of Denver and, and east of Boulder is where we are here in Lafayette. Super. Tell us something we might want to know about your, like, either you or your family, maybe your community. Um, you know, I, I come from a long uh, tradition of, of educators. Um, my mother was a teacher. My father was the president of the school board in Denver Public Schools. We uh, we talked about education a lot in my family growing up. My um, three of our, our four kids in our family, my, my siblings, ended up in education as well. My brother's teaching economics in Texas, and my sister teaches computer science up in Fort Collins, Colorado. We're just a, a passionate family about education. We really... Um, Really, have always have always cared very much about um, public education in particular, um, but but education in general. I would love to be on the fly a fly on the wall for your family's get together conversations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's it's, quite it's a community. Good. That's great. Yeah. What would be something you would share with our audience about your current education passions, projects, research, anything you're currently really digging? Well, um, you know, when I'm not working on Forefront full time, which is which is really what we're trying to do is to create, you know, this this tool that's really going to support equitable practices in schools and, and um, really hopefully be something that can help people to move in the right direction in terms of education. 
I'm also working on creating um, a series of number sense screeners for K5. Uh, these are a project that I've been working on for a number of years, but uh, I'm right in the middle of some revisions of those screeners, and they'll be out by the end of this month. Cool. So watch for the, the spring, spring number sense screeners will be published by the end of the month. Very cool. And I get to welcome our guest, Katie Budrow, who is a middle school science teacher, a passionate advocate for standards-based grading and learning practices, and also, must be noted, a Green Bay Packers fan. <laughs> Katie co-moderates a bi-monthly standards-based grading Twitter chat where educators from around the world come together to discuss ideas and practice around student-centered assessment and grading. She recently co-authored Moving Beyond Classroom Management, Needing a Culture of Learning with Garnet Hillman. I want to know more about that. Katie has also been featured in books by well-known grading experts, including our last guest, Ken O'Connor, as well as Tom Shimmer, Danny Hill, and Mandy Stiglitz. Welcome, Katie. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for being here. Where are you joining us from today? I am joining you from the blissfully warm uh, uh, Chicago suburbs. So <laughs> it's in the high 60s today, which is kind of a miracle um, for March. So That is very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> What's one thing we should know about you, your family, or your community? Um, so my husband and I, 11 months ago, had a beautiful baby boy um, right at the very start of the uh, lockdown and pandemic. So he is officially a, a pandemic baby. Um, he's met pretty much us, the doctor, and seen the mailman, and that's about it. Um, but yeah, we've, we've wow. been enjoying, we've had a lot of time at home with him. We've been enjoying that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been a very interesting year. My goodness. The stories you will have. And then as <laughs> As things open up, that will be an, a very interesting transition. Totally different challenge. Yes. Yep. <laughs> what are your current education passions, projects, or research? Um, I, I just overall, I'm really passionate about a healthy classroom, right? We need a healthy classroom that's focused on learning. Um, we need healthy assessment practices to not only uh, determine if that learning has occurred, but support it as it goes forward. And we really, really need healthy classroom culture. We do a lot of really interesting things to students in schools. And uh, the more we focus on the health of the overall system, the better the students will be. Excellent. And I love that keeping in mind the, the, the whole person, um, not just a part of a person. Is, is, it, is it healthy? I like that. Thank you. Yeah. Next, we're going to dive into some questions with our guests. Lindsay, what's our first question? Thank you, Erin. So, David, I'll start out with you. You set out about designing an online platform that really radically differs from the typical online grading systems that too often, I would say, thwart standards-based assessment and reporting. What would you say were some of the key flaws in existing platforms? We don't need to name names, but key uh, flaws in existing platforms that inspired you to develop an alternative option. Uh, you know, so I got to work with a lot of different kinds of electronic grade books during my career, um, ranging from spreadsheets that I built myself to CD-ROMs that I ordered in the mail back in the early 2000s. To uh, when I was in Costa Rica teaching down there, they asked me to lead the implementation of a new grading book down there, and it was really. Um, you know, cutting edge at the time, it was based on a local server. And and yet at the same time, because it was built by programmers who were familiar with traditional grading practices um, that we know are flawed, 
in that they just they're they're around this idea of completion and compliance more than anything else those grading systems tend to just kind of calcify the bad ideas of the past that is the average scores across the entire semester rather than thinking about what's the most recent evidence they they might have waiting practices that are in there so that we can weight our homework assignments at 20% and some quizzes at 30% and then our final at 50%. But really, it's still just an averaging around um, the, the entire thing. The other thing that really, I think, is a difficult problem, actually, within the um, switch from traditional grading and the traditional gradebooks and the digital gradebooks included in that is this um, reliance on points that it's all about earning points, 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 rather than rather than proficiency, right? So so that when we get to an assessment, and I'll go to math because that's my area of, of uh, expertise, right, where where you'll see a, a teacher will give an assessment, and it might have a small section of fluency, where there'll be 10 addition problems or something like this, and the student has to answer all 10 of those. And then that's followed by a story problem, where where the student answers one story problem. Well, the teachers will tend to give 10 points for the individual fluency task and three points perhaps for the story problem for getting the correct answer for showing your work and for drawing a picture or whatever it be and so therefore it adds this enormous weight to the fluency tasks and only and only and then a smaller amount of weight to the to the the story problem so this this reliance on points that we have is built into the very architecture of so many of the online and um, other electronic grade books that are out there that people very, you know, they cannot make the shift to thinking about what does it mean in terms of really progressing towards proficiency by discrete standards and performances. I think that's some great points in there. And I really love the word you use that it calcifies the, the kind of bad practices of the past because it's so true, right? Like we may have the right mindset. We may have the right idea shift in practice, what we're doing in the classroom, but then we enter things into these systems and it's basically just all been undone. And then again, as you said, it just calcifies that piece or cements it in the mind of the student or the parent or the person on the receiving end. Absolutely. Points system or the averages are what matters. So right. that's a great, a great comparison. I, yeah. Maybe, Katie, tell us a little bit, how do you organize communication and reporting of grades in your role? And what are some key feature, features that you might find most effective in online platforms? Or maybe have there been some kind of workarounds that you have found effective? Well, I've got a lot of different things. Um, I've been really lucky to use a wide variety of different grade books. So um, there's, there's lots you can do, um, whether you have a standards-based grade book um, or kind of a more traditional grade book setup. Um, I think the two major things that I do that makes the most impact is I separate, separate out behaviors from learning, right? Those two things get reported out separately. So um, your learning and the evidence that you're able to show of your learning is one category, and then your different behavioral skills. Um, I like the term citizenship skills. I know some high schools use like yeah. um, college or career readiness skills, like 
those are those are reported out separately. So that's kind of a, a really easy way if you're just starting out and you have a traditional grade book is start to pull behaviors out and report them separately. You can do that as a category um, or you could, you know, do that in like a narrative type comment. It doesn't have to be crazy long, right? It could be a nice short little thing. You know, the student works hard um, but needs to improve their focus, you know, just something really, really simple. But so that was kind of the major thing is, is separating those two things out. But then I think after you've kind of got that down, the next easy workaround is to start putting things in the gradebook by standard as opposed to task, right? And you think of kind of the traditional gradebook that you see, the gradebook that I grew up, you know, with my teachers writing in, you know, there was a vocabulary quiz on Friday or, you know, there's a science lab on Thursday and all of those little task-based items tell us what the student did, but it doesn't tell us what the student learned. So if yep. you can start to pull those things and say, ah, well, this vocabulary is for this, or the science lab was for that, now we're starting to get down to the meat of what that student is actually learning. And this, those kind of simple things are, are, are nice and just kind of easy to start with. So, but I don't know, I've done conversion scales, I've sent a separate gradebook home, I've done a spreadsheet gradebook, a paper grade, like, you name it, I've probably done it. Um, but the the two major things, right? Come back to separating out behaviors from learning and start organizing things by standard or learning outcome as opposed to task. And you already are on a path to kind of more healthy assessment. I think that's those are great points. And really, in a, in a sense, they kind of mirror what David was saying in that those are examples where if you practice them otherwise, you're miscommunicating to the students, right? If you're taking an assessment as David described and there's multiple measures of student learning mixed into one average or if like you described you're taking student learning and behavior and mixing them in you're distorting that communication so those separation factors and reporting that clearly specifically upon the measures of learning we begin to convey to the students that is what is important right so great examples thank you David did you have anything else you wanted to respond back to that or are you good no, I think that 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 piece that, that Katie talked about about you know really making sure that we're more specific in what we're measuring. I think it's interesting your citizenship idea there. You know, there's some who are who are saying you know, hey, listen, we should really only only focus in on the performance relative to standards entirely. I think that that makes sense to make sure that we have that focus on standards in terms of what is the performance that's expected of the students. But but also, I think when we think about report cards and grading as communication to the parents. We also and to and to the student, right? We also have to think about all the things that those people care about, right? And so I think it makes sense to to say, hey, listen, you know, your student is doing really well in math, but for goodness sakes, he's a disruption every day. Um, we need to we need to be clear about these things in, in our communication and don't blend them in, you know, with one another and just make it all mushy. I've noticed that too, where um, if we just report on the academic learning, people can get the misconception that nothing else matters. Right. And it very much matters to be able to make well-rounded, healthy, happy, fully prepared humans. It, we're not talking about taking away, throwing out behavior skills, citizenship skills. We're just we're talking about how to report them in ways that support growth in those areas um, and be effectively communicated. My next question um, has to do with, um, you know, how, do, how can we support leaders, uh, maybe principals, instructional coaches, district leaders um, in, this, in this journey? So, Katie, I'm going to start with you. 
if you had a magic wand to help guide school leaders and how they communicate expectations to teachers around the use of gradebook tool for learning rather than for the tracking points and, and percent averages we've, we've discussed, what details would you ensure were included in that information or support for school leaders? Now, while I love the magic wand idea, um, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily think that school leaders need one. Um, I think the biggest thing you can do when you're looking at um, making a shift towards healthier practices is um, just really focus on why. Um, Simon Sinek does a great job of starting with the why, um, and and that is like the absolute key. That that is the magic wand, if you will, um, to getting any teacher on board. If they don't understand why they should change their practices, you've already lost. Um, and and teachers are planners and analyzers and crafters of their art. And so when you come at them with something that might be new or different, sometimes you can get a significant amount of pushback, right? Because um, obviously if you're bringing something new to the table, perhaps that means they were doing something wrong. And so by starting with the why, um, it's not necessarily that we were doing things wrong before we were, but we don't have to say that, right? <laughs> it's that we can do things better, right? We can show a more accurate picture of learning um, and we can have students understand more about their progress and where they need to go. Um, and so starting with the why is just absolutely essential when you, when you get started. Um, the other thing I think is important for school leaders to do is something that actually Amazon does um, as one of their leadership principles, and it's called disagree and commit. And notice the word in the middle is and. Um, and Leanne Young does an excellent job of talking about this with school leadership, but you might not fully agree, teachers, with our um, healthy changes that you. are like coming into place, but we David, need you to commit you to doing them. A, a um, and that's a huge thing for people to get or over as well. Like right? A lot of times teachers, teachers are really good, right? We'll just, I'll just close my door. I will do what I want. And you're still going to have people that are going to do that. But if you can get the bulk of your staff to, even if they disagree, commit to moving forward with, you know, things like separating out behaviors, or instead of giving a zero, giving a 50%, just little minor changes and building off those, you kind of get this momentum going forward. But I think disagree and commit is something really powerful that we're not using as much as we should be. Yeah, that's a good one. I do wish I had a magic wand sometimes, um, but but I and and but absolutely agree with everything that Katie just said. And you know, this like starting with the why, the statement of purpose, or something like this. But if I did have the magic wand right now, right now today, I would ask every teacher to please stop putting zeros into their gradebook. I mean that that is just it's mathematically it doesn't make sense. Emotionally, it doesn't make sense for the health of the child. It doesn't make sense. Everyone should stop putting zeros into their grade book right now. And I, I mean, it's, it's a personal thing for me. I, you know, I, as a, as an educator and as a family of educators, we talk about education, my family, a whole lot. And, um, and, and I expressed to my children very clearly, you know, my disgust in, in this idea of putting zeros in grade books. Um, perhaps it was my fault in some ways, but then at the same time, you know, once those zeros did show up, it was, it was immediate, you know, that they, they understood the mathematics of it. And it was really hard to even care at that point in time. Um, I even read something earlier this morning, honestly, and about a, a child who was like, you know, the, the principal pulls him in and says, hey, look, you've got so many zeros right now in your grade book that really you could get straight A's for the rest of the semester and you're not going to pass this course. And the kid said, well, then I think I'm just going to go pack up my locker. 
Um, you know, it's, 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 you know, that, those kinds of things are just damaging to children. And we need to stop using grades as punishment. It doesn't work. It never has. Right. And we need to think about how do we support students in becoming, growing, learning, right. And, and, and helping them to, to grow. Um, you know, I, I think, I think in terms of this idea of, of, uh, you know, the tools and supporting leaders, it's a multifaceted thing. It has to be intellectual. It has to be also emotional. We have to tie in the emotions for, for teachers to understand why this is important. Um, and then, you know, uh, part of, you know, why I've created Forefront is because I really do believe that teachers need the tools. If you ask them to do something and you don't give them the tools to make that shift, it's impossible, right? We ask them to go up, build a building without, without any tools. They're not going to be able to do it. We need to make sure that we have the appropriate tools that match the, the paradigms that we're hoping that they're going to implement. And that's, that's I think, absolutely quintessential. I love that connection. And yeah, if we're going to ask what, what supports, what tools can we bring? Yeah. Katie, is there anything else you'd like to, to add? Just to build off David's um, idea that grades have been used kind of as punishment and motivators, right? Um, Dan Pink does a wonderful job of talking about carrots and sticks, um, punishment and rewards and drive as an educator or anyone who works in a school setting. If you have not read Drive, please pick it up today. Um, it's an excellent book and it really illustrates some of the damage we do um, with things like that. But, but great. I mean, grades as an incentive, it's only in, as an incentive for the kids that are getting the highest grades, right? right. Um, my dad was also an educator and my parents used to pay me for good grades. Um, they also offered to pay my brother and my brother did not care, you know, because he didn't get good grades. So he was never going to get any money. So, um, you know, that kind of idea that a grade should be a, war a reward or a punishment. It's not. All it is is a picture of learning at a given moment in time. That's it. It's that simple, right? How much have they learned? How much evidence of that do we have at this particular moment in time? It's fluid. It changes. But yeah, we put a lot of pressure on grades. But yeah, if we could simply just eliminate that kind of reward punishment relationship with grades, we'd be off to a much better start. Yep. yep. Thank you very much for those points. And it connects to what we talked about in some other episodes of exploring our working assumptions about what motivates and doesn't motivate students and exploring you know, what, what are healthy motivators um, and including students in those conversations so that it's, it's yeah. matching their interests, their motivations, and not just jumping to the assumption that grades are carrots and sticks and perpetuating that practice. Thank you. Over to you. I do want to, I do want to add it. Can I add in one more point on this thing? Just because, of course. <laughs> because it's another thing that really drives me nuts is, is, and I don't know how to get rid of it. And I'm honestly, I'm not sure what the solution is, but this idea of giving weighted averages, um, giving the 5.2 to the students who are able to get into those courses I, I really think it's a product of, of an inequitable system that was established in order to make sure that we limit access to certain aspects of higher education. Uh, the 5.2, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost code. I just signed up for high school classes for my, for my students sat there with him. I needed to explain him why that little W was next to some courses and not next to other courses. The W stands for waiting. I've actually heard someone said, no, it stands for white. It's really a problem. It's really a problem. And we need to address it because, because when we give those extra courses and it's code for those of us who are in the inside who still understand these systems, it leaves others out and it's not right. 
I love that, David. And I cannot wait for you guys to listen to one of our earlier episodes. We have a gentleman from our NWBA team who is a content designer focused on making sure our uh, assessments are equitable. But he speaks about that exact piece of grades as a motivator for those who serve the system, whom the system serves. Yeah. If you understand that grades will get you into good college and then ultimately potentially lead to your life success, that's mm-hmm. because you were likely raised in a family or in a community that believes that that's the only key to success and right. that that's what serves your, your future needs. Right. But in other ways, that's not, it's not equitable. It excludes all of those things. You guys are hitting some amazing points. So thank you. Super thought provoking. All right. So to add to that, this perfectly lines us up for the next question. So David, I'll start with you. We had an earlier episode uh, with Matt Townsley discussing the value in shifting a culture away from a focus on earning to a focus on learning. What would you suggest are a few approachable steps that teachers could take when they think about organizing, whether it's a grade book or their communication tool of choice? Yeah. If, if the existing constraints require entering points, what are some approachable steps that teachers could do to reorganize the system that they use to communicate with students and parents? I think I think I think the, it's there's actually one step that's very easy. Just don't put the points onto the paper, right? So when when if if you need the points, and I I'm I'm, I'm look, I've created a data system. I, I like I like having um, information available for collaboration. I need information available for communication amongst adults, right? However, when it comes to the student, just put feedback targeted helpful feedback onto the paper and leave the points off. Report the, re, record the points in your grade book, whether it be a digital grade book or in your paper, wherever you keep your grades, right? That's fine because those are helpful for you to understand. They're helpful for you to target that instruction that needs to happen. They're helpful for you to collaborate and communicate. But at the same time, they're not necessary. And in fact, they can oftentimes damage for the students. And so, so when, we, when we're grading our papers, don't think about the grading. Think about the learning. Focus on the feedback. Provide the feedback to the students, but keep the grade off of it. Love to hear your perspective, Katie. Um, it's so funny that uh, Matt Townsley just did a, a guest moderation for SBL Chat, and he asked there. this question, right? Yeah, you were there. Um, and my response back to this question was just stop it with the points, right? It's really easy. <laughs> said, just, get, just give up the points. Um, and it's it's easy for me to say it was easy for me to do. It's not necessarily easy for everybody to do, but I, I think the point, the point um, <laughs> we, we need to remember here is we train students into this focus on points, right? right? We, we train them to do this. Um, if you go into a kindergarten classroom and you talk to them about what they're learning, they don't tell you how many points it's worth. They don't even know what a point is. You know, they're just doing their thing, learning away, being natural in their, you know, very kindergarten learning state. Um, and as they get older and older, that training hones in. And if you are an isolated standalone teacher, it's really hard to kind of train them out of it. It's totally possible, but it's hard. Um, but yeah, you have to prioritize feedback over points, right? Stop putting them yeah. on the page. Just like David said, start giving feedback. If you need them for yourselves, fine. It's a teacher tool. Go ahead and put them. But you probably don't need them anyway. You can figure out a different way to do it. Um, you know, shortening the scale, right? Instead of having from zero to 100%, right? Shorten that scale. Um, I traditionally use a, 
a three-leveled scale. Um, my students don't like the lowest level. Um, it's supposed to be four, right? Like a four, three, two, one, but they don't like the one because nobody wants to be there. So normally we don't even refer to that. So it's really down to a three. I know teachers that are grade lists that have gotten down to just a binary scale. Do they, do they understand it? Do they not, right? Are they demonstrating the learning? Are they not demonstrating the learning? Um, and I think with work, right, and going back to the points don't make the work meaningful. The grade doesn't make the work meaningful. What makes the work meaningful? It contributes to your learning. And the more you say this, you say it to parents, you say it to students, you say it to colleagues, the more you keep saying this, the more eventually it becomes real. Um, a couple of years ago, I knew I was onto something with this because I had students trying to guess my password for my computer and they kept... <laughs> They kept going, it has to have learning in it. It has to have written learning in it, right? And I was like, okay, I'm clearly doing something right here. Um, so but the more you focus, and again, it's hard, it's hard for teachers, right? We grew up, we, if you grew up with points, you're going to want to give points. And it's easy, you know, nine out of 10, move on. But the more you kind of take that away, the better off for students. I love it. David, on an opportunity to respond if you like, or... You know, I, I think that I think that Katie Katie nailed it pretty well there. You know, it's just it's it's a culture that we've created of of point getting, answer getting, point getting. It's it's it's, you know, I remember even you know my older brother coaching me when I was a kid. You know, look at the first thing you need to do is figure out the the, the grading system of these of these teachers because every teacher does it different. First of all, and you have to figure out what they like in order to get the points that you need. So that you're going to be able to get the grade that you want in the end. It wasn't about learning at all. It was all a game of points. And the whole culture when I was in high school, and I think very much still today, was a culture of point getting. And and I think I think it's nice that you've put this and phrased it as a as a question of culture, because I think it really very much is a question of culture that we've got here, and we need to think about how we're going to change that if we're going to make progress. Katie. You were there for the Twitter chat too. Is there's some great comments though that shared there that you know we almost kind of undervalue students' level of intelligence on this too, right? When we assume that the only thing that they care about are points, we completely forget the fact that there's very likely they deeply care about yep. their own learning. Well, and we so. we've made it important, right? We've made the game of school important for them. Yeah. So how else are they going to respond? Of course they're going to respond as if those things are important until you get those few that just don't care. And they are going to respond, you know, as if it's not important because it really isn't. So. Super. Yeah. Well, and, and thinking about that, that culture and, and Katie, we talked a little bit um, earlier before this, this episode started about um, how we have these conversations or how we partner with parents families to make these shifts. Um, what would you offer as ideas for strategies to, for teachers or leaders to consider and how to partner with parents and families to make, to make these shifts? I think the first thing we have to acknowledge is that this is really hard for people, right? It is hard for teachers to transition. It's, um, it, can be, it can be very hard for students to transition. I've had many students that have been very resistant. Um, <laughs> I had one student several years ago that would write on corners of my board, just grade using percentages, like just all over, you know, and the entire year, just grade using percentages. And I knew it was him. He thought, I didn't know, but I knew. <laughs> um, but for parents, this is exceptionally hard. One, they are not 
normally education professionals right they are not trained in this however they did go to school so they know a lot about the experience of going to school right. and when we start changing our grading language we're asking them to speak and be fluent in something completely new to them right they know what an a means an a means their kid is doing really really well and is going someplace right especially if they can compare their kid to the other peers right my kid is getting a in this class they're the best, right? They are the best. They're doing great. They know what a B means. My kid's fine. They're okay. I don't need to worry. Maybe I monitor a little bit, you know. They know what a D means. Oh, we're in trouble, right? <laughs> so we're asking them to speak an entirely new language. It's going to take a lot of time and a lot of communication about not only why, but how this is better. Um, you know you're doing it right if the grading system you get around to is more accurate, um, is more meaningful, and is easier for parents, teachers, and administrators to understand, and students, right? It, it really, it has to be more accurate, it has to be more meaningful, but the easy part I think sometimes we get hung up on, um, and it needs to be easier for parents to understand. I've seen grade books for standards-based grading that are 30 pages long. <laughs> what parents yeah. want to sift through 30 pages of anything about their child like just yeah. <laughs> when of course they're going to push back and be like i just want to know did my kid get an a like that's all i want to know so we can't fault them um but we really need to like push them forward um and in easy ways to start right it's just talking about what grades mean you know grade doesn't mean a good 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 grade doesn't mean your child tried really hard right um i get that a lot my student tried so hard on this project yes but their cell model every single part of it was wrong you know um it's not a measure of how pretty or neat or glittery or postery it was, right? Um, it definitely isn't their behavior, but they worked so hard, right? And they're so polite about asking questions. Um, and it definitely shouldn't be a comparison rank or sorting, right? Um, we don't care who made the best cell model in my classroom. We care that we made cell models. Um, but I think, again, this takes a long, long time for parents to really start to embrace this. What's really interesting, though, is, again, you look at early elementary, and they're okay with it. It's when it starts, the pressure starts, right, around middle school to high school. Um, that's when they really have a hard time. They want to see those grades because, in their mind, like David said, right, this is what's going to carry them forward to college. Um, and that's really only the ones that know how to play the game, too. So shifting it back and communicating with parents about, nope, this this new language is better and here's why is a great place to start. I love that. And I, connecting to the points about, like, show how it can make our conversations, our partnership easier. That's something I noticed where I was getting traction with the, the parents and families I was working with, like we can get really targeted and precisely the thing to work on rather than a big long list of unfinished tasks. It's like, no, we're trying to grow learning here and here's the next steps that will work for this student. So I, I love that reminder. How is that gonna make, how can we make this easier for learning? David, what do you wanna say? Yeah, no, I just I think Katie hit on a really, really important thing there that if we're not if we're not improving our communication, then really we're not doing better, right? I mean, if the parents if it's not easier for the parents to understand what's going on, then what have we done? You know, and and this is a huge shift. And and Katie started a long time ago also about talking about the why and starting with the why. Parents need to be brought into that conversation. It's not just about the teachers at the school, but the parents need to be brought in. And I I'm just going to make a little confession. When standards-based grading came out, you know, and I was working um, as a fifth grade teacher at the time, 
when they started talking about it in my district, um, I, I went to the principal. I said, "Listen, I'm going to fight this tooth and nail. I really, I really am not. I'm not fond of this idea. Um, I didn't feel like it, it matched the way that I thought about student progress. I thought I was really top notch. You know, I thought I had the whole thing. I was building my own fancy spreadsheets. I mean, it's 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 hard for us to to think about how much this involves in terms of both teacher practice and the parent side of thing." And, um, yeah, I had, here's another quick experience. You know, I was, I was, um, I've, I'm all too for, um, too familiar with the, uh, the dentist chair and, and my, my dentist, you know, he was placing on this, uh, um, this crown recently and he's like, you know, just one more little bit and we got a solid A plus here. Right. Thought, <laughs> wow. How, I mean, it's just, I mean, I knew what that meant. It was, it was, it was, of course, comforting to know that the, <laughs> I was going to get this new crown in my mouth. But, but you know, it's just it grades and that idea of an A plus is just absolutely ingrained in in our in our culture. And we have to, if we're going to make a shift like this, we have to communicate the whys so clearly to the parents. Um, Katie said one other thing. I just really want to bring back just quickly though is this this idea of of accuracy. I I'm passionate about this idea. As I, I, I'm fearful and having watched this as, a, as an instructional coach and, and in my profession over years, that as we attempted to become more precise in our grading, we lost accuracy in some ways because, because and partially this is because we didn't provide the tools to the teachers, right? We suddenly asked them to give five grades for social studies, four or six grades for reading, you know, two grades for writing or three, maybe five grades for writing on top of four, you know, seven grades for math and, and, and who knows how many for PE. And, and, you know, the idea that we're able to manage all that information for 26, 28, as a middle school teacher, you probably you have hundreds of students at high school as well, oftentimes. And the idea that I'm going to be able to manage the information and the evidence of learning for all of these students is really a challenge that we need to face. And if we're going to be able to make the shift and, comp- and convince parents that the, the evidence that we're working off of and the communication that we're providing is not only more precise and understandable, but also accurate, that's, that's a real challenge that we have to meet as educators, I think. Mm, I like that, that explanation. The, yeah, finding that intersection, that sweet spot. I think yeah. it's very important. You can swing, swing one way, another way. We got to find the the middle way. Right. Katie, did Something you wanna... manageable and meaningful. Manageable and meaningful. It always has to be that. I like that. Excellent, Katie. Anything to add? Um, no, I don't have anything to add. <laughs> well said, David. Great. Oh, thank you. Well, Lindsay, those have been some fantastic discussions. I want to give you both the opportunity to share if there's anything that you feel that we didn't ask today that you were hoping we would have. And I'll just say, David, we'll give you the opportunity first. If there's something you would like us to have asked or pass it on to Katie, if she would like to share. You know, I'm not, I'm not quite, quite sure, you know, I've, uh, you know, in terms of this conversation is one that's going to go on for a long time and has been going on for a long time. Um, you know, as I was preparing for this conversation today, I went back to books, you know, that were 25, 30 years old um, to, to think about how do we improve grading? Um, you know, Gusky was, was doing kind of a summary of things that we've been talking about grading 
for well over a hundred years. And, and this is a long history of, of, of things. And it's really only recently um, from the fifties and sixties on forward, where we really came to this idea of the percentage based grading and that this is the way that it is. And, and now we're, you know, coming back to the idea that really, you know, things could be different and things could be much better, but I think that we have to, we have to get there. You know, one thing that I didn't hear us say today at all that, that I think is really, really important and that we, you know, needs to be said is that we, we need to, as we're building healthy students, as Katie said, this idea that we are all growing as learners and this idea of growth mindsets is really fixed and tied closely to the idea of grading. We really, we really are, our traditional grading methods here in the United States really make it hard for students to think of themselves through a growth mindset lens. And um, that's something that we really need to understand that we have to promote this idea that we are all learners, we're constantly learning, and that we recognize the learning and we honor it and we report relative to learning. Fantastic. I love it. Katie, I'll give you an opportunity. It doesn't necessarily have to be a question. It could also be a comment of something that just kind of a last word, if you will. Well, one of the things that um, we didn't talk about was kind of how the grade book itself, the idea of like giving grades actually impacts our entire existence in school, mm -hmm. right? Um, and not just behaviors in classrooms, not just like things, um, how, you know, how students progress on, but thinking even about like timing, right? The, the grade book actually determines the timeframes of school. Um, and I've seen districts do this really, really well, where they've actually just given up on dividing years into, um, you know, sections, right? They instead have like a continuous grade book um, that follows the student up throughout their career. And I think that as we look forward, um, I know we have a lot of work to do, but as we start to look forward as to what we could do, you know, grade books even determine whether a student progresses to the next grade or not, right? Um, traditionally, you could be held back if you didn't get the right grades to move you on up. Now that's kind of an antiquated pr practice now, but just the idea that the grade book is controlling so much mm -hmm. and systemically, what can we start to break down? Cause what sh it shouldn't have control over, you know, all of these things, what, what should be driving all of these things is what school should be all about. And that is learning. Right. And that is not just learning math. That is not just learning language arts, but that's learning how to be a decent human being as well. Um, and so just the idea that we need to really start to break down this idea of the grade book driving everything and instead put the focus squarely back on learning is just kind of. Well said. Yeah. David, you have something to add there? No, no, I'm just happy to hear it. That's good. <laughs> no, and I, I would agree completely too. And um, thank you both so much. There's been so many rich insights here. It's really actually disappointing to say that our time is coming to an end together. But I want to thank you both tremendously. Um, I think this is going to be really meaningful information for our, for our viewers and listeners. Um, I do also want to just give Aaron the opportunity to share out um, well, a farewell and a, and a thank you, if you will. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. I know there's lots going on in everyone's lives as we navigate post-2020. So thank you for being here with us and sharing your experience and thoughts. And most certainly check out some of the resources that were mentioned here today, some of which are coming directly from David and Katie's own work. 
books forefront, if you will. Um, we've mentioned several times today the SBL Twitter chat. And if it's just it's an informal way to get involved in a discussion with other professionals out there that are learning the process and the, prog the having progress themselves, um, and just considering the continued learning opportunities there for anyone interested, if you're beginning this journey, if you're in the journey somewhere and need to continue to learn, those are some great opportunities. And I hope you'll all be sure to join us for our next and sadly our last episode Round tips for getting started with all the things that we have shared in this series on grading for learning. We presented a lot of interesting ideas out there and we look forward to hearing finally from Dr. Roberto Derrizanz, the head of school at Millennium School in San Francisco, and Dr. Heather McClure. She's a researcher and professor at the University of Oregon, here to share with us some practical tips for those out there ready to get started or ready to continue their own journey in grading for learning. Thank you all so much for joining us today. What a great conversation. I love that point. The grade book should not be the focus. Learning should. Thank you, David and Katie. I hope you gleaned a lot from this conversation as well. That's going to be it for this episode of The Continuing Educator, Grading for Learning. And be sure to join us next week where our topic will be making the practices and processes of grading for learning possible with guests Dr. Roberto Derizans head of school at the Millennium School in San Francisco, California, and Dr. Heather McClure, a researcher at the University of Oregon. And be sure to subscribe to the show, share it with a friend or colleague, and leave a review. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. For more great teacher content, check out NWEA's Teach, Learn, Grow blog at nwea.org blog. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon.